welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynne Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for everyone, everywhere, all over the world. And where that is not the case, fret not, but let us incorporate those higher qualities into our thinking and feeling world and be loved to one another as often as possible. But remember that there comes a time when we will truly come to understand that there is no difference between one and the other. Whatever our race, beliefs, and prejudices may be in this lifetime, And in those moments, just before we unburden ourselves from these fleshly coats of worldly living and discordant accumulation, we will be reminded of all the love that we did or did not give. So, at all times, as much as we think it, let us radiate the love and light of our mighty ion presence all throughout the atmosphere, because it matters. Presently, for ourselves and others, but indeed, it will matter one day for us alone. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. Witchcraft was regarded as a sin almost confined to women. The witch hammer declared the very word feminine meant one wanting in faith. A wizard was rare, one writer declaring that to every hundred witches, but one wizard was found. In time of Louis XV, this difference was greatly increased, to one wizard 10,000 witches, another writer asserted there were 100,000 witches in France alone. The great inquisitor Sprenger, author of The Witch Hammer and through whose instrumentality many countries were filled with victims, largely promoted this belief. Heresy of witches, not of wizards must we call it, for these latter are of very small account. No class or condition of women escaped him, we read of young children, old people, infants, witches of 15 years, and too infernally beautiful, of 17 years. Although the ordeal of the red-hot iron fell into disuse in the secular courts early in the 14th century, 1329, ecclesiasticism preserved it in case of women accused of witchcraft for 150 years longer. One of the peculiarities of witchcraft accusations, was that of protestations of innocence, and a submission to ordeals such as had always vindicated those taking part in them if passing through unharmed, did not clear a woman charged with witchcraft, who was then accused with having received direct help from Satan. The maxim of secular law that the torture which did not produce confession entitled the accused to full acquittal was not in force under ecclesiastical indictments, and the person accused of witchcraft was always liable to be tried again for the same crime. Every safeguard of law was violated in case of woman, even Magna Carta forbidding appeal to her, except in case of her husband. Before the introduction of Christianity, no capital punishment existed, in the modern acceptation of the term, except for witchcraft. 
But pagans unlike Christians, did not look upon women as more given to this practice than men, witches and wizards were alike stoned to death. But as soon as a system of religion was adopted which taught the greater sinfulness of women, over whom authority had been given to man by God himself, the saying arose one wizard to ten thousand witches, and the persecution for witchcraft became chiefly directed against women. The church degraded woman by destroying her self-respect and teaching her to feel consciousness of guilt in the very fact of her existence. The extreme wickedness of woman, taught as a cardinal doctrine of the church, created the belief that she was desirous of destroying all religion, witchcraft being regarded as her strongest weapon, therefore no punishment for it was thought too severe. The teaching of the church, as to the creation of women and the origin of evil, embodied the ordinary belief of the Christian peoples, and that woman rather than man practiced this sin, was attributed by the church to her original sinful nature, which led her to disobey God's first command in Eden. Although witchcraft was treated as a crime against the state, it was regarded as a greater sin against heaven, the Bible having set its seal of disapproval in the injunction thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. The church therefore claimed its control. When coming under ecclesiastical jurisdiction, witchcraft was much more strenuously dealt with than when it fell under lay tribunals. It soon proved a great source of emolument to the church, which grew enormously rich by its confiscation to its own use of all property of the condemned. Sprenger, whose work, The Witch Hammer, was devoted to methods of dealing with this sin, was printed in size convenient for carrying in the pocket. It based its authority upon the Bible, 23 pages being devoted to proving that women were especially addicted to sorcery. This work was sanctioned by the Pope, but after the Reformation became equally authoritative in Protestant as in Catholic countries, not losing its power for evil until the 18th century. A body of men known as traveling witch inquisitors, of whom Sprenger was chief, journeyed from country to country throughout Christendom, in search of victims for torture and death. Their entrance into a country or city was regarded with more fear than famine or pestilence, especially by women, against whom their malignity was chiefly directed, Sprenger, the great authority, declaring that her name signified evil, the very word femina, woman, meaning one wanting in faith, for fe means faith, and minus less. The Reformation caused no diminution in its use, the Protestant clergy equally with the Catholic constantly appealing to its pages. Still another class known as witch-finders or witch-persecutors confined their work to their own neighborhoods. Of these, Cardan, a famous Italian physician, said, In order to obtain forfeit property, the same persons act as accusers and judges, and invent a thousand stories as proof. The love of power, and the love of money formed the most hideous combination for evil in the church, not a Christian country but was full of the horrors of witch-persecutions and violent deaths. During the reign of Francis I, more than 100,000 witches were put to death, mostly by burning, in France alone. Christ was invoked as authority, the square devoted to auto de fe, being known as, the burning place of the cross. While written history does not fail to give abundant record in regard to the number of such victims of the church, largely women whose lives were forfeited by accusation of witchcraft, hundreds at one time dying agonizingly by fire, and new and weird evidence as to the innumerable multitude of these martyrs was of late most unexpectedly brought to light in Spain. During a course of leveling and excavations for city improvements in Madrid, recently, the workmen came upon the Quemadero de la Cruz. The cutting of a new road through that part of the city laid bare like geological strata, long black layers superimposed one above the other at distances of one or two feet, in the sandstone and clay. 
Some of these layers extended 150 feet in the horizontal direction and were at first supposed to be the actual discovery of new geological strata, which they closely resembled. They proved to be the remains of inquisitorial burnings, where thousands of human beings of all ages had perished by the torture of fire. The layers consisted of coal coagulated with human fat, bones, the remains of singed hair, and the shreds of burnt garments. This discovery created great excitement, people visiting the spot by thousands to satisfy themselves of the fact, and to carry away some memento of that dark age of Christian cruelty, a cruelty largely exercised against the most helpless and innocent, a cruelty having no parallel in the annals of paganism. Imagination fails to conceive the condensed torture this spot of earth knew under the watchword of Christ and his cross, and that was but one of the hundreds, nay, thousands of similar burning places of the cross, with which every Christian country, city, and town was provided for many hundreds of years. A most diabolical custom of the church made these burnings a holiday spectacle. People thus grew to look unmoved upon the most atrocious tortures, and excited crowds hung about which burnings, eagerly listening as the priests exhorted to confession, or tormented the dying victims with pictures of an unending fire, soon to be their fate. Woman, Church and State, by Matilda Jocelyn Gage, 1893 Isis Unveil, Volume 2, Chapter 2 Regretting that space should prevent our giving one of the most curious lists in the world of burned witches, we will nevertheless make a few extracts from the original record as printed in Hauber's Bibliotheca Magica. One glance at this horrible catalogue of murders in Christ's name, is sufficient to discover that out of 162 persons burned, more than one half of them are designated as strangers, i.e., Protestants, in this hospitable town, and of the other half we find 34 children, the oldest of whom was 14, the youngest an infant child of Dr. Schutz. To make the catalog shorter, we will present of each of the 29 burnings, but the most remarkable. In the first burning, four persons. Old Anker's widow. The wife of Liebler. The wife of Gutbrot. The wife of Hawker. In the second burning, four persons. Two strange women, names unknown. The wife of Butler. In the third burning, five persons. Tungerslepper, a minstrel. Four wives of citizens. In the fourth burning, five persons. A strange man. In the fifth burning, nine persons. Lutz, an eminent shopkeeper. The wife of Bonich, a senator. In the sixth burning, six persons. The fat tailor's wife. A strange man. A strange woman. In the seventh burning, seven persons. A strange girl of twelve years old. A strange man, a strange woman. A strange bailiff, Shelfice. Three strange women. In the eighth burning, seven persons. Bonich, a senator, the fattest citizen in Würzburg. A strange man. Two strange women. In the ninth burning, five persons. A strange man. A mother and daughter. In the tenth burning, three persons. Steinecker, a very rich man. A strange man, a strange woman. In the eleventh burning, four persons. Two women and two men. In the twelfth burning, two persons. Two strange women. In the thirteenth burning, four persons. A little girl nine or ten years old. 
A younger girl, her little sister. H.P. Blavatsky In the 14th burning, two persons. The mother of the two little girls before mentioned. A girl 24 years old. In the 15th burning, two persons. A boy 12 years of age, in the first school. A woman. In the 16th burning, six persons. A boy of 10 years of age. In the 17th burning, four persons. A boy 11 years old. A mother and daughter. In the 18th burning, six persons. Two boys, 12 years old. The daughter of Dr. Yona. A girl of 15 years of age. A strange woman. In the 19th burning, six persons. A boy of 10 years of age. Another boy, 12 years old. In the 20th burning, six persons. Gobel's child the most beautiful girl in Würzburg. Two boys, each 12 years old. Stepper's little daughter. In the 21st burning, six persons. A boy 14 years old. The little son of Senator Stolzenberger. Two alumni. In the 22nd burning, six persons. Sturman, a rich cooper. A strange boy. In the 23rd burning, nine persons. David Crotton's boy, nine years old. The two sons of the prince's cook, one 14, the other 10 years old. In the 24th burning, seven persons. Two boys in the hospital. A rich cooper. In the 25th burning, six persons. A strange boy. In the 26th burning, seven persons. Wavenbush, a senator. The little daughter of Valkenberger. The little son of the town council bailiff. In the 27th burning, seven persons. A strange boy. A strange woman. Another boy. In the 28th burning, six persons. The infant daughter of Dr. Schutz. A blind girl. In the 29th burning, seven persons. The fat noble lady, Adelfrau. A doctor of divinity. Item summary. Strange men and women, i.e., Protestants, 28. Citizens, apparently all wealthy people, 100. Boys, girls, and little children, 34. In 19 months, 162 persons. There were, says Wright, little girls of from 7 to 10 years of age among the witches, and 7 and 20 of them were convicted and burnt, at some of the other brand or burnings. The numbers brought to trial in these terrible proceedings were so great, and they were treated with so little consideration, that it was usual not even to take the trouble of setting down their names, but they were cited as the accused number one, number two, number three, and so on. The Jesuits took their confessions in private. What room is there in a theology which exacts such holocausts as these to appease the bloody appetites of its priests for the following gentle words? Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Even so it is not the will of your father, that one of these little ones should perish. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. We sincerely hope that the above words have proved no vain threat to these child burners. Did this butchery in the name of their Moloch God prevent these treasure hunters from resorting to the black art themselves? Not in the least, for in no class were such consulters of familiar spirits more numerous than among the clergy during the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. True, there were some Catholic priests among the victims, but though these were generally accused of having been led into practices too dreadful to be described, it was not so. 
In the 29 burnings above catalogue we find the names of 12 vicars, 4 canons, and 2 doctors of divinity burnt alive. But we have only to turn to such works as were published at the time to assure ourselves that each popish priest executed was accused of damnable heresy, i.e., a tendency to reformation, a crime more heinous far than sorcery. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 15 Blessed, beloved ones of our hearts, I wish to assure you tonight that our love for you is beyond anything you can understand in your willingness to stand and give these decrees for the purification, protection, and freedom of the nation that is the heart of the world. I wish to reveal something to you tonight that perhaps will give you some concept of what terrific effort life goes to in order to not only sustain a planet and life upon it, but to help the beings who embody here to fulfill the great divine plan that raises them unto the ascension. Could you see as we do the accumulation of mankind's discord which always creates darkness, it's just like soot in the atmosphere of a city. Mankind's discord is an impurity, and therefore when at intervals the great cosmic law permits the cosmic beings to consume a certain proportion, or perhaps all of the discord accumulated up to that time, it is because the planet and mankind upon it could not survive if a certain proportion of that impurity is not taken off at intervals. Now this is what affects the planet, but the same thing is true of the individual. If a certain accumulation of discord in the emotional body, the feeling world of the individual, is not removed from time to time, it accumulates to the point where it makes it impossible for the light within the unfed flame in the heart to expand enough through the outer self to hold its activities to the constructive way of life. We govern the destiny of individual life streams as well as the destiny of a nation. Each nation has a cosmic being and legion of the angelic host who are the governing intelligence to try to purify each nation and help it to arise to the fulfillment of its divine plan. Just as your higher mental body is the guarding presence for the outer self and its activities as you go through many embodiments, so is there provided for each nation a guarding presence of that nation to hold its identity, until it either fulfills the divine plan, or its discord dissolves it, and it loses its identity as the centuries go on. The Great Cosmic Angel The angelic host's service to life is beyond anything you can comprehend. And I may I give you just a little of the joy that is ours when we see a group of people harmonized long enough to let the light expand through each one, and as the group hold together, each one's life stream pours a flame into the combined energy, and that becomes a sun presence of power of constructive action that that group can bring into outer physical conditions. This is how constructive activity through the centuries is brought into outer world experience in one civilization after another. All the constructive ideas in every civilization are given to humanity within that civilization by not only the higher mental body of each life stream, but the ascended host and the cosmic beings who are trying to expand the light through every heart flame, the light through every nation, the light through the substance and structure of earth itself, until it becomes luminous to the point where the life streams embodying here can never again create discord. This is the way we give protection to everything that is constructive, Therefore, when you think of protection, will you always think of a sun presence of one or more activities of the sacred fire that goes forth in answer to your call? And if you could see this once from the inner level, you'd be the happiest people on earth. When your heart's flame reaches up to your presence, your mighty I am presence or the ascended host, 
and you call the various activities of the sacred love of the sacred fire into the conditions of the physical world to enfold individuals or localities or activities of the outer life, the moment your heart desires to render that service, the heart's flame itself sends up its own ray of light and love, and your beloved I am presence and the ascended host take that up, and pouring their own sacred fire's love into it, amplify it into a sun presence, and project it forth on a light ray into a condition or in and around individuals or localities to bring perfection from the ascended master's octave, into this world. This goes on all the time and is the great law of life's ever-expanding perfection to bless unascended beings with enough of the sacred fire love from the ascended master's octave, to be the magnetic pull that draws the individual's heart flame up, and out of the clutches of human creation. Therefore, when you wish to free individuals from destructive conditions, try to remember, your mighty I am presence and one or more of the ascended host must at all times pour forth some activity of the sacred fire or cosmic light from the ascended master's octave, into this world to master conditions here, to establish here the perfection from our octave that is the fulfillment of the divine plan, to lift the individuals or the condition out of the control of destructive forces. When this is the condition that affects an entire nation, I'm sure you can begin to realize now something of how gigantic is the task to purify this nation. And this nation has the most light of any nation in the world. You can begin to see what it means, from our standpoint, to draw enough of the cosmic sacred fire purity of our love and concentrate it into a nation and into the people of a nation, to stand aside enough of the destructive forces to let that which is the constructive activity within each life stream render its service to the nation, and through the nation to the world. The Great Cosmic Angel